Welcome to Alaska Black Caucus. Authentic, bold, committed. This program was supported by a grant awarded by the Municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this publication, program, and exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. Thank you so much, Dr. That was information that we rarely hear. And uh, I hope we get to uh, replay this several times because that was incredible information, much appreciated. Dr. Owen, are resources adequate in helping to close the gap in the Alaska Native and American Indian communities? If not, what more is needed? Dr. Owen. Thank you uh, for inviting me to this amazing presentation and miigwech to Ngunashish uh, to all the speakers who came before me. Uh, particularly um, the speakers on this panel for helping highlight something that has had significant impact on American Indian, Alaska Native, as well as all BIPOC communities. Uh, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Dr. Mary Owen, not, not said in the introduction. I am also the president of the Association of American Indian Physicians. My home is Juneau, Alaska, so I appreciate the honor to be here back in Alaska, if only virtually. Um, for uh, career reasons, I had to leave our great state, um, as many of you can appreciate, I'm sure. I want to, I was asked to speak about, um, not just about American Indian Alaska Native populations, in fact, not uh, specifically to speak about um, a background, just as our previous Dr. Andresik did, did such a great job on, a little bit of the background of what we're seeing in our communities and um, other factors in uh, of COVID-19. So I'm gonna speak a little on the critical care uh, pandemic and how it harms us and uh, am open to questions in the end. I won't hit as much on my population as um, I usually do. So uh, I also wanted to tell you that I do practice uh, medical care still for the Fond du Lac Nation here in Minnesota. So get to see um, or have to see some of the impact of uh, the lack of vaccine in our community still today and just yesterday. So uh, regarding the ICU, um, I think, I don't believe that Dr. Zink showed exactly this slide, but uh, obviously we were reviewing some of the similar slides. Um, really nice work coming out of CDC. This one is not from them, I don't believe. But um, what I want to point out here are the two bumps that you're seeing. And this is hospital, this is hot, uh, ICU. These are ICU bumps or how many times or how many beds are being used in our ICU. And I think this is really important. And I don't think that unfortunately we're seeing enough of this in our news and in the impact that my colleagues have talked about on our healthcare workers. And that's what I want to emphasize here today. Of course, our communities are being impacted. And of course, we're all sorry. Uh, sorrow, we have so much sorrow over this, but I, we're not hearing enough about how how our colleagues in the hospitals are doing, I believe. So that's what I'm going to emphasize. This is a slide um, of a study that was done by JAMA recently um, of uh, VA hospitalizations and particularly about the relationship of mortality, how it increases when we go past the capacity of our ICUs. And that's what this gray bar um, re reflects is when we went out of what's available as far as services and, um, and uh, the supplies in the ICU up to this top of this on this blue line here. And again, when we go past what we're capable of treating or what we've been prepared to treat in the ICU, that's when we start to see higher levels of mortality. Uh, doc, uh, 
what I want to point out here are what folks are dealing with in the ICU, what's challenging the services and the capacity. Uh, 38%, this is from a June study, uh, June 2020 study, so quite a bit ago, actually closer to when the, um, we we're starting to see the real impacts of the, of the pandemic. And this study, uh, in this study that was intensive care medicine, there was a review of 26 studies and two systemic reviews that showed what people were um, in the hospital for and not shown on here because they didn't have as great a data, but it, um, they found in their review of the studies that about 20% of people who were hospitalized in, for COVID ended up in the uh, ICU. I'm guessing it's a little bit higher. They did have a range of four to 30 from their review. So it's, it was quite, rate, um, quite a range, but we know that significant numbers of people who get COVID do and, and, and are hospitalized do end up in the CCU. Of those, about 40% of them, or four out of 10, had ended up developing acute respiratory distress syndrome. And about half of them, as a result, required invasive mechanical ventilation. So more than just the uh, nasal cannula or ways that we can deliver oxygen without having to do anything to a patient. And then of those, 20% of, um, uh, of the people who are hospitalized in the CCU, 20% of them, or about one in five of them, required some form of renal replacement therapy, which most of us think of dialysis as, but there are other forms as well. So again, what I'm pointing out here are the significant resources that are being used in our hospital and the, and the stress that is being put on the hospital system, because we're just not, our hospitals are not built for this, these kinds of needs, this many people that are this sick. As Dr. Zink pointed out, there are some, um, some conditions that we have now known, and this is just a study that shows the conditions that were most related to people who got the most sick. Those are obesity, diabetes, hypertension, or high blood pressure and heart failure. And also important, which I think she highlighted, is how many in our BIPOC communities have these. We know that we die from higher rates because of these particular diseases already. We were sick before we went in. We were more sick before we went into the pandemic and we are seeing the impact of that now. Um, and, and again, this is not new. We saw the same thing happen to our communities, American Indian, Alaska Native communities, in particular with H1N1. We died at four times the rate of non-whites or of white um, populations from H1N1. So this is no surprise. Again, a slide that shows the impact. This is all the way up to March 2nd, 2021 from America Public, America Public Media Research and shows the uh, great impact on indigenous populations. This is data from the state, not as great as Alaska that I currently live in, um, Minnesota Department of Health. And what I wanna show you is the trend in changes of uh, people being hospitalized in the CCU, uh, particularly American Indians, Alaska Natives, and then also the mortality rate. So this data was at the height of 1-7 or January 7, 2021, showing the impact on American Indians, Alaska Natives in this state before the vaccine was really in effect. So you can see our extremely high mortality rates, 275, and this is age adjusted. That's really important, it's not total. It's age adjusted rates, we have the highest mortality rate and our ICU rates are also extremely high. This is just September. So our rates, although high, have significantly gone down and that's because we, had, we did great jobs in our communities getting vaccinated recognizing the importance to our entire community, individuals went out and we know that from uh, a nice study that was done um, in Seattle from a research, inst Indigenous Research Institute that showed that our communities recognized 
when when polled, 75% of the people, um, the natives uh, polled, recognized the importance to our communities in getting the vaccine and said that they would get it for those reasons. So this shows that. I think you can see that the although the mortality in the, in the CCU rates are still high, they're significantly lower relative to what they were uh, before the vaccine. So this is the latest. This is just from last week's data. And what I want to point out here is the mortality rates increasing again, because um, while we had an initial surge in uh, vaccination rates, we are now seeing pockets of people who have refused the vaccination. And that's starting to show again on our mortality rates, at least here in Minnesota. And from uh, speaking with colleagues around the country, we're part of the Association of American Indian Physicians. And also looking at the data, we know that this is um, being reflected elsewhere as well. So um, just to hit home again, that we are not through uh, this pandemic by any means, Dr. Butler and Dr. Zink were um, very optimistic and um, saying that we've seen some of, some of the worst of this, and I agree, but I also am talking with colleagues who are working in the Southwest who say that, yeah, we just made it through the Delta variant, but we're not through, we're hitting the flu season, we have to get vaccinated, not just for um, uh, for uh, COVID-19, but for the flu, because our, our health systems cannot handle the stress that they're seeing. Um, my colleague who works down in Navajo uh, mentioned that they're seeing nurses who are leaving, um, not, huge numbers of nurses leaving because they can't take the stress of working overtime. They can't take the stress of caring for people who um, were not quite as community-minded and got the vaccine, but are um, a little bit more resentful of the entire system. It's been it's a it's a difficult time to be in medicine right now. Even though we are all still committed, uh, it's taking its toll. And that's uh, shown here in this nice study that was done uh, um, recently, a survey that was done by the Association of uh, Critical Care Nurses. 92% of nurses said they believe the pandemic has depleted nurses at their hospitals, and as a result, their careers will be shorter than they're intended. We're seeing the same thing with physicians, not quite as high. 66% um, of the nurses felt their experiences during the pandemic have caused them to consider leaving nursing. So this is this is troubling because we were again we were short before the pandemic. So this is really troubling. This is a recent um, uh, release that was sent out by critical the Society of Critical Care Medicine, um, widespread throughout the country to help in the Southwest where they're just being bombarded again. I know that this is dour news. I just really want to emphasize the critical need of all of us to get. Um, to get vaccinated. So not just so that we care for our communities, but we also care for the people who've been caring for our communities. Our health system can't continue with this kind of stress. And the people who are gonna be most impacted are those from our communities, because we know that that's where we've had the vacancies in, um, throughout all of this and even before. For instance, in this Bemidji area where I currently work, we know the physician vacancy rates um, in our IHS hospitals are 46%, according to a 2018 GAO study, 46%, close to 50% vacancy rates uh, before the pandemic. Our people don't have the same access to healthcare, and this pandemic has not helped. We have to get everybody vaccinated, not just for COVID with the boosters, but also with flu to help take the stress off of our workers. Um, <clears throat> 
some potential solutions. I just threw these out there in case anybody cared what I thought would be some solutions. In crisis, we have to have a campaign against some of these uh, spreads of these cons conspiracy theories, as we've seen recently on social media. It's in inexcusable. It's unacceptable. Uh, we, we don't allow um, other, uh, we don't allow people to yell fire in a crowded the theater. Well, that's what this feels like. We have to stop the conspiracy theories. We have to get people to recognize the importance of these, uh, importance of these vaccines. Long-term, we have to have more investment in our public health system. And then regarding American Indians and Alaska Natives, it's time the government paid for the lands that it stole long ago. They had an agreement to do so. They need to honor that agreement. Thank you so much for your time and uh, happy to be here. Thank I will you turn so this back. Very much appreciated those comments. And now, Dr. Tuxen, if you would please address the big picture challenges ahead. Um, what do we have? Are we turning as we turn this corner? Dr. Tuxen. Thank you so much. And um, I'll try to be brief to uh, get to the uh, question time because I know there must be uh, some really good ones given the, uh, the, the all the issues that my colleagues have put together. And, and by the way, I am uh, I am a brother uh, to every one of the people who have presented. Uh, I have not had a chance to be a, a good brother to, to Ann Zink, uh, but we know of her work. And so I'm a, a fan instead of a brother, but everyone else I have had the chance to work with in uh, common cause. And that's the point I wanna get at here. Uh, this is the time to come together. Uh, this is the time where we have to be joined together for the preservation and the fight for life. This is about whether we live or whether we shall prematurely die and the quality of that survival. Let's make sure that we understand and how we respond at this historical moment to this disease is going to determine what the future will be like, not with COVID, but all of the other health challenges that we have. Make no mistake about it. The road ahead is going to be extremely difficult, extremely difficult. And this is why, number one, if this pandemic has taught us anything, and it has taught us a lot of lessons, it used to be that you would assume that human beings, particularly American human beings, cared unquestionably about life, about living, about survival. And now we know that that's probably not true. There are a lot of people in our country who have other agendas that are higher than whether we shall live or whether we shall prematurely die. There are economic considerations that are more important than the lives of our seniors. There are political motives that are cold-blooded, mean-spirited, as hard as nails that are more important than whether or not we work together to preserve human life. We have levels of distrust, even among communities of color, among our own selves, that will lead us to point guns at our own heads and pull the trigger. We have revealed the inadequacy, but also the potential capability of our community and faith-based infrastructures. We have learned that we as a people are suffering from the generations of neglect of science education in our schools. So that when a human miracle of unprecedented achievement, creating a vaccine that has worked this well extraordinarily well, the best ever, as, as rapidly as it has happened, as safely and effectively as happened, instead of it being a cause for celebration, 
it is used as a cause for concern and alarm. All of these put together are telling us that the future is going to be challenging. Am I scared? Am I nervous? Ain't no way. And as the old civil rights leader, Ella Baker, used to say, ain't no way tired. We have got to gear up. So let's remind ourselves quickly the basics. Number one, what have we heard? First and foremost, 726,000 Americans are dead from this disease. One in 500. Let me say that again. One in every 500 Americans is dead from this disease. And we still have considerable parts of our nation that don't respect the death rate, don't care about that death rate. It is not important to them at all. They do not grieve. And what also is true that so many people have just ignored it and refused to do the things they need to do. Number two is that if we're going to change things, we have to change America with a respect for life. I am so pleased to just sit here today and hear the native uh, 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 celebration of the land, of the value, the humanizing ethic of what it means to be a human being. That's run through this whole meeting. That has to be outside of this now and move it through the society. And everyone that we see, especially and including those who, with whom we do not agree, we're going to have to learn the grammar of coexistence. We're going to have to learn how to reach our hand across the divide, even as we're spit in the face, even as they pick it our homes of public health officials. Somehow we're going to have to learn to be able to show America that there is another way, that we all don't have to retreat to our tribe, our trenches, and me against you and you against me, and we're gonna fight it out to the death. There's no hope there. And we have to be the ones to bring hope. So the respect for life. Number three, our community-based and faith-based infrastructure is key. I created, along with others, the Black Coalition Against COVID. When I was health commissioner in DC, during the height of the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, uh, I learned the importance of community working together with community influences across all sectors of the community, the faith community, the, the poets, musicians, actors, music, you know, musicians, the, the labor leaders, um, returning incarcerated citizens, and those who are still incarcerated. Um, uh, you just go all the way through the, the, the small business owners, every sector of the city, bringing those people together inside the tent and working together and planning together. We did not have a penny when we started. Didn't, and for the first year of our existence, we started Easter Sunday, 2020. We didn't even have a penny for a year. It didn't stop us one bit. You don't always need money. It ain't about money. It's about getting people together, begging, borrowing, and finding a way, and just going out there and getting it done. So let's be sure we're clear about making sure that if there's a community-based leader that can't get along with a face-based leader, Today's the day. It's over. Stop that. You can't do that anymore. Whatever your thing is, it ain't more important than death. So cool it. we got to be together on the same page. If you can't do that, how the heck are we ever going to overcome? I guess, I don't know. Can you say it? But, but how you overcome Trump and the, and the nut jobs that are associated with him? We have got to be together. Next, this misinformation campaign has got to stop. And we are going to have to hold people accountable. How dare anybody? decide 
that they would, without knowing any knowledge, without going to one day of school, without having read one doggone medical journal or be able to understand it, how are they going to decide to try to overrule people who've devoted their entire, I've been at this 50 years, 50 years I've been at this. And somebody named Pookie on the internet is going to try to overrule everything I have learned and all the people that I have consulted with and all the experts and put some information out there. And that person has to go home one day and they, or face their maker and look in the mirror or look at the face of St. Peter or somebody. And they're going to say, do you know that you participated in killing other people? How dare you do that? Nicki Minaj, how dare you? And all the rest of these people, how dare you? There will be a day of reckoning. Tuskegee syphilis study was the number one risk factor when I fought AIDS in the 80s. 40 years later, number one risk factor in our fight in the black community, Tuskegee syphilis study. Those seeds of, dis of distrust were planted deeply in our culture, deeply. And that is an abomination. But what is more of an abomination is that those seeds are watered every day through our contemporary experience in the American culture. Black lives do matter, but if they matter, they have to matter first to us. Native people's lives matter, but if they're going to matter, they have to matter to them. But at the end of the day, we have an undying love for black people, but we also through them have an undying love of all people. We have to be able to have that kind of embracing of each other. So Tuskegee was all about, you didn't get the drug to save your life when you already had a disease. It was denied to the people who had a disease. They were denied access to the drug that would save them. It makes no sense in 2021 to say, because I am pissed off about Tuskegee, I'm gonna deny myself the drug that would save my life. It's insane. And we have to call it for what it is. You can be pissed off legitimately at what has happened, but you don't get to be pissed off and then kill yourself. And if you decide to kill yourself, do me a favor, go someplace off into the wilderness because we don't need you to kill the rest of us. And that's the point I'm getting to. Stop bringing disease to us. The realities of segregation are unfortunately still manifest. We spend our time with our own selves. So we bring this into our own home and we sicken other people who are right with us. You cannot have an undying love if we're going to act in this way. I wanna end up with, I wanna be very clear about this safety and efficacy thing. For all of those that are spending every way they can to try to poke a hole in whether or not these vaccines are safe and effective, just listen to what Butler said. Six billion people have received this vaccine or one of these vaccines around the world. You see no country anywhere that is saying stop vaccinating because we're seeing incredible death rates from vaccination. Six billion people and nobody has stopped giving their countrymen and women the vaccine. 95 plus percent of the people dying in hospitals are unvaccinated. What more do you need to know? 
95% of the people dying in hospitals are fully vaccinated. And for those who are having breakthrough infections, and I know we've heard about it, do you want to know the numbers? Those of you that are worried about what the breakthrough infections are, breakthrough infections, those who are fully vaccinated and have died represent 0.004% of the death rate. 0.004%. So be clear, these vaccines are safe and they are effective. And to conclude, if you're gonna be a vaccine denier, and if you're gonna to choose to decide that you are smarter than the entire world's scientific apparatus, if you are that brilliant and you are going to, or that selfish or self-absorbed or politically motivated, do us at least one big, big, big favor. Wear your mask everywhere you go, all the time, everywhere, each day, every moment, because we don't want you near us, period. I love our children. I love our people. It is time to stop playing, time to take their, take their gloves off. There is too much at stake. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Tuxedon. Yes, we know the pookies of the world are dangerous, very dangerous. Well, this has been an incredible, incredible panel. Uh, the Betty Davis forums have always had high expectations and we have always exceeded those expectations. But this has been remarkable. It is my hope, President Hodge Groden, that this podcast can be shown in every legislature, in every city council, at every assembly meeting, in every possible forum, because I have never heard this level amount of information shared that is real and that is factual. Somewhere today, coming to this forum, I heard there are a thousand people gathering in Nashville, Tennessee, mostly unvaccinated, almost all unmasked, and they're doing exactly what Dr. Tuxon said. They're the pookies of the world and they know better than anybody else. So just remember, stay away from them and stay away from us. We have a few minutes now for questions. Uh, during the registration, some of our uh, virtual participants did send in some questions and we have a few. So Weta Morrison is here and we will start with questions from Weta and then we will ask whatever panelists would like to respond, please do. Rita. Okay, I'm gonna remove my mask so you can hear me maybe a little bit better. Some of the questions may have already been addressed, but if you wanna add, feel free to do so. What are some of the ways to talk to people about getting vaccinated? What can we do if our loved ones aren't vaccinated or following guidelines? Well, I can take this on. I have, I have people in, in my family just to be uh, completely transparent, who despite the fact that I'm actually working on the vaccine, still believe in some of these, uh, this, some of this misinformation and uh, disinformation. 
And we are going back to the East Coast to spend the holidays with them and they are not vaccinated and they um, refuse to get vaccinated. So um, we continue to talk to them uh, and we have made it very clear, you know, we have an eight-year-old, hopefully by the time we go back for uh, the holidays, she will be vaccinated along with everyone else in our family. Uh, but we've made it very clear to family members that they're not allowed to be indoors with us without a mask on and that if they are not vaccinated, we cannot eat with them, cannot drink with them, or anything that requires the removal of a mask. So if they want to hang out with us and we wanna hang out with them, we'd love to see them. My children haven't seen um, some of my family members in almost three years now, and we're going back to see them, but we are not going to compromise the health of um, our family uh, and our parents who are older uh, because of your individual freedoms or whatever you believe to be true, which is not backed by science or any evidence. And I just continue to say that. So, and I think, you know, one of the other panelists said before that really the movement happens with social and personal um, pressure. <laughs> and so, you know, I, we make it very clear and, you know, and we've talked to our parents and, you know, we refuse to be the bad guys in the situation. We are thinking about the health and the well-being of everyone in our family. And you have to wear a mask uh, at all times, at all times. We're going to be indoors. There's no outdoor uh, celebrations in New York in the winter. <laughs> so, so you have to wear a mask. That, and we are not budging at all from that. Um, and if you are unwilling to wear a mask or we see you with your mask off, then we will be, uh, you know, forced to say something. And if you're not going to do it, then we'll have to leave. And we've had these very frank conversations with people. The only thing I would add to that, besides kind of having kind of our own personal boundaries and where we need to be, you know, I still clinically work in the emergency department in Matsu, and it's one of the least vaccinated areas uh, in the state still today. And you know, I haven't met someone who's unvaccinated because they want to be sick or they want their community members to be sick or they want their loved ones to be sick or they don't want businesses to thrive. There is so much misinformation and disinformation. And I constantly meet people who overestimate the risk of the vaccine and underestimate the risk of COVID. Every single person I met says, I didn't think it would be this bad. I had a friend who was okay. I had a bunch of friends who thought it wasn't a big deal. I can't believe I'm the one who's now this sick. And what we're seeing is people are showing up really late. They uh, don't think it could be COVID. They aren't getting tested. And, you know, when you look at Alaska specific data, our cases did not precede our hospitalizations and deaths on this go around. And really what we think happened is people just stayed at home until they were so sick that they came to the hospital and were getting tested, hospitalized, and oftentimes dying in a very short window, rather than what we saw before, where people were aware of it and were getting tested. And that gave us a chance to give them treatment, to make sure that their oxygen was supported. Um, and so I think continuing to treat people with compassion, I no longer ask people in the emergency department, are you vaccinated? Because there's so much judgment that has come and so much us and them. But I always ask, uh, I ask questions like, do you have any questions about the COVID-19 vaccine? Or, you know, I really care about your health. That's why I'm here taking care of you for your sprained ankle. And I want to make sure you don't have any questions about the COVID-19 vaccine because there's so much misinformation and disinformation. I will tell you every shift, I probably get four or five people who say, 
like, it's usually when I go back in to splint that ankle, they're like, you know, doctor, actually I do have a question. <laughs> like I'm worried I won't be able to come pregnant later, or I'm, you know, worried about like, how long is this going to last my body? Or like, how can you say it's safe? If you like, you haven't been, not been around that long. And then they start to ask those questions. So I think we've become so tribal in so many ways of a response that it's hard for people to let go of what has become for many, a sense of identity uh, to be able to move into something new and to be able to let go of what's become a hard and fixed belief. And so I think creating a safe pathway to let go and then to move something uh, different, I think it's part of the reason we've seen some of the success, honestly, of some of the vaccine mandates, particularly on the East coast, is it, it gave people a pathway out without challenging their existing uh, structure. Um, so I think that we need to continue to have find pathways for people to let go of fixed beliefs and, and to find a way for a healthier and more well self and community, uh, because I think it's what all of us want. Thank you, doctor. I think we also have a question from Thea. See, what are some of the most effective strategies to counter misinformation, whether it's our Facebook feeds, in conversation with friends or family or elsewhere? I'm happy to start on this one again, because I feel like I spent a lot of time with social media at trying this. And uh, it's like a, a constant uh, pot of learning uh, to, to try to find new ways. I think it's changed over time. Um, I think initially people were really desperate for tools and information. And so uh, you could share data and that resulted in data uh, and people would change their mind. I think now we have, um, as this is really emphasized, I think as humans, we respond to stories much more than we do data. We don't say, like there was a five foot brown object, you know, 300 feet down the valley under a seven foot cliff. You're like, there's a bear, watch out. Like, like that's all we kind of do. And I think that that is what has really resulted in this miscommunication about the, the vaccine um, safety concerns versus COVID. You know, where we're seeing people, you know, just as like Dr. Owen was speaking of like dying of this disease and struggling to breathe and scared is in these HIPAA compliant places removed from the rest of society where you don't see the struggling, you don't see what's happening. And I think that that kind of moral disconnect between what you're seeing in the hospital versus what you see like at the grocery store is part of what has become this real challenge for our healthcare workers in so many ways. Um, and what you see on social media stuff is a stories, stories of, of problems with the vaccines, so stories that uh, are compelling to the very human nature of who we are. So I think we have to uh, bring the artists and the poets and the storytellers with us. I think we need to not just speak in terms of data, but we need to speak in terms of humanity and bring them to the forefront and help them tell stories to be able to move forward. I, uh, well, I, I certainly have, uh, in our DC experience, have also learned the importance of the storytelling and bringing the poets, musicians, and artists. Uh, we grabbed onto those folks right from the very beginning and, and they really are powerful. We also sponsored a lot of contests uh, creatively, like um, be before we had the vaccine, we did a special video contest for uh, why do I wear my mask and gave small little prize monies and made it really big and, and kids got deeply into it making because you can make a video on your cell phone so easily 30 seconds and but bringing those kind of people together. But the one thing I would just want to emphasize for for the Alaska Black Caucus is um, as I mentioned, there are not going to be easy solutions to these problems like misinformation. This is going to be a per per pervasive problem for a very long time. You cannot control the internet. We've learned that. I have been in touch with people. I have been in deep meetings with the people at places like Facebook who are trying very hard. People, they're doctors and, and, and clinicians, just like those of us on this panel, who have the job of trying to clean that stuff up. It is very, very challenging. 
uh, for them to do that. But what I'm getting at is for the Alaska Black Caucus, we have got to invest in our science education in our junior and senior high schools. We've got to prepare for the long run. Uh, when you say to people now, mRNA vaccine, it's possible for lots of misinformation to occur because almost nobody knows what an mRNA vaccine is. We live in a genetic era. All of medicine going forward is going to be genetic based. Genetics is the inevitable translation now of what medical care is going to look like other than setting somebody's broken uh, leg, uh, Dr. Zink. But other than those broken bones that you're setting, uh, medicine is gonna be genetic. Do you know that almost nobody knows anything about that to have a conversation? So I would just beg Alaska Black Caucus, get involved and get in there and fight for science. And, I, and I'll tell you the last thing is, I know one of the challenges in most states are when you do that, and when I've tried to get people involved in that, is that the doggone science teachers association says, you do realize our biggest challenge is trying to just to be able to teach evolution. <laughs> so the, the, the challenges are very fundamental, but please uh, make it your business. Every, every legislator in the state of Alaska now, make it your personal legacy that you doubled and tripled the budget for science education in the schools so that then we will be able to come back with the 13,000 other crises we're going to face in the next five years and at least be able to understand what the hell it is we're talking about. I'd like to add on to what Dr. Reed said, or Dr. Tuxin said, pardon me, and say not just science, but also get back our critical thinking skills in school. We are not questioning nearly enough these days, and I'm noticing it even in medical students, for, frankly, when I teach them. So we need to push that. The other piece that's been successful for in Native communities is recognizing the regionalization of, um, of our communities. So we didn't just do broadly all American Indian uh, ads, which you can see by the way on AAIPvax.org, uh, vax, but we didn't just do it. Uh, we did Northwest native tribes, California tribes. We're doing Midwest. We have to recognize that uh, our groups are different and they're gonna respond differently. Thank you. Uh, one, one quick thing I wanna just say, cause I know you're probably gonna cut us uh, pretty soon, uh, Madam Chairperson. Um, I do want to make a commercial uh, that uh, the because of the childhood uh, vaccine decisions, which will be finalized, probably uh, uh, Jay Butler can make sure I'm right, but somewhere around November 2nd and 3rd will be when the decision is made. We are having a national town hall, and I'll send the information to the uh, ABC leadership. We're having a national town hall uh, that, that the four uh, Black medical schools the National Medical Association, the Black Medical Society, Mary Owen and the American Indian Physician Society, the Hispanic Medical Society and the Asian Pacific Islander Medical Society. We're all coming together as one, and this is not the first time we've done that. And, and so that's why I was saying that Mary is my sister, uh, you know, from another mother, but we are together and we are fighting together. And I think it's important that everybody understands that when it comes to people of color, we're not into that tribalism thing where it's my thing against your thing. We put it together. So anyway, November the 4th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Eastern time, there will be this major town hall and there will be the head, the, the Surgeon General will be there and um, pediatricians from Mary's organization and, and, and all of the rest and parents from the native community, from Hispanic community, black community, Asian Pacific Islander community parents will be asking the questions. And also the person that's also gonna be on the show 
is the person named Peter Marks, one of the most remarkable public servants. He is the person responsible at the FDA for uh, approving vaccines. And he's gonna be there answering people's questions right there on the spot. So there won't be any chance somebody to be misinformation or Pookie being able to talk about it. The guy who is in charge is gonna stand there in front of the American people and answer your questions. And that's really what we got going on. So I'm glad I snuck that in. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. So well, I think we are just about out of time and we are trying to stay on schedule. So hopefully uh, you have given us the opportunity to have closing remarks uh, because we do have to move. But thank you, thank you again for sharing the information for our panelists. Let's give them a hand. You've given us so much to think about. Dr. Andrasak, Dr. Butler, Dr. Zink, Dr. Tuxen, Dr. Owens. Please, please keep working for us realizing that it is often under very, very difficult circumstances and in spite of ourselves. Thank you to our attendees, both present and virtual. We know without question that COVID is not red or blue. It's not black or white or red. It's not partial to males or females. And again, as Dr. Tuxen said, 700,000 one in 500 Americans have died of this pandemic over the last 17 months. Many of them are our friends, relatives, and neighbors. So please, please leave this session armed with this new information, facts, data, not fiction. Help protect yourselves, your family, and your community. It's not up to the next guy, it's up to you. Celeste? Would you like to come and give us where we go from here? But this session was incredible and it must be replayed over and over again because we just don't ever hear this kind of information on a local or national level. Thank you so much. Well, hello, 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 hello. So thank you all for joining us for our morning session. We are going to transition into the celebration, the ribbon cutting ceremony, but I want to thank our panelists as was already done, but I really want to say to each one of them, thank you so much. And thank you for being here, but don't go anywhere because we are about to transition, as I shared, to the Betty Davis ribbon cutting celebration. Thank you. Oh, and, and let's give a round of applause to our moderator, Jewel Jones. Thank you for listening in to Betty Davis African American Summit on COVID-19 Part 3. We hope you enjoyed this session. Alaska Black Caucus, authentic.